0: <laughs> The Elk Talk podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org.
1: The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new Performance Protein Bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order.
0: The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, Go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the gator premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have.
1: And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15%
0: on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code Elk Talk, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop.
1: Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code talk to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course.
0: And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Good morning, Corey. Howdy, Randy. How's life in Idaho? It is good.
1: I'm uh, uh, trying to think of something to complain about, but I can't think of anything, so
0: it's good. Oh man! You know the top, Mark Twain used to say pessimists are seldom disappointed. That's uh, right. <laughs> you're an optimist. So I don't know what Mark Twain's uh, statement was about optimists, but
1: uh, uh, well, I remember uh, I, uh, I I I used a quote when we were up in Alaska. It was something, of, uh, something to the effect of, to those who feel life's a tragedy and to those who think a comedy or something like that. So I yeah. try to
0: think and not feel, and that keeps me
1: laughing instead <laughs> of crying.
0: Uh, my grandma used to say, if you get up in the morning and you think it's a good day or a bad day, you're probably right. That's very true. And uh, I kind of take that as my my approach to life when i get up in the morning i uh my default is every day is going to be a great day and Man. i go into the coffee shop here in bozeman and when i walk in there i say hey randy how are you doing today and i always say oh i'm perfect and uh, <laughs> so one person said well have you ever had a bad day and i said look I'm almost fifty-seven years old. I've never had a bad day in my life, and I'm not going to start a habit like that at this age. So, <laughs> don't don't be bringing me down here. And off uh, I go. They probably think this guy's taking some sort of medication. Like I was medication.
1: just going to say I need to start taking the same stuff. <laughs> my my uh, grandma didn't have cool quotes like that. In fact, the only one that uh, that I can remember from her. And I actually used it last night on, on my youngest son, Sam. But she said, if you have time to do a job twice, you had time to do it right the first
0: time. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I had two grandmas who were very important in my life and a great-grandmother who was very important in my life. And uh, so I've got all kinds of grandma quotes. Man. In, in fact, usually if I make one up, And I'm thinking, oh, there's no way people think I thought of that. I just say, yeah, one time I heard my grandma say this. (laughs) (laughs) Attribute everything to grandma. Yeah, but I had one grandma whose mind was often in the gutter. And and as she got older, that's what she talked about. And my wife is like, your grandma talks about that all the time. I'm uncomfortable. I said, look, she's 84 years old. She can talk about whatever she damn well pleases. Uh, so well, I'm not going to use those grandma quotes if, if you're okay with that.
1: But that's probably a good thing.
0: <laughs> uh, well, here we are. Today is October 19th. Uh, I apologize. Man. I know. Where did I gotta September apologize go? To, where did it go? I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm looking for it. Did did you find it? No, I. Uh, in fact, no. I haven't heard an elk bugle in over ten days.
1: So I'm uh, really? I'm miss, missing September.
0: Huh? You know how last year we said that the the elk rut didn't seem as active across the West. Yeah. As, you know, that, that was kind of the report. Well, this year, while I was up moose hunting here in Montana. In the last couple of days of September and the first couple of days of October, I've never heard so much out Bugling. Really? Yeah, and I got a moose tag in my pocket. I'm walking around wearing blaze orange and carrying a rifle. Like, darn. Man. It's me. Yeah, no kidding. Well, oh, well. Yeah,
1: things just died off for me towards the end of the season and they just haven't picked back up. I kept thinking, well, maybe we're going to get another little rush here and i don't know if it's just area specifics i've talked to some people that are like oh the elk have been just screaming first part of october and man the areas that i've been in have just been Mm -hmm. quiet all around i've been in four different areas now since uh the last
0: week of september and just not hearing bugles yeah wow huh so you guys in idaho your archery season ends september 30th for the most part yeah most of the -the over-the-counter stuff yeah, kind of the same in Wyoming. I think Colorado ends right there towards the end of September. Yeah, Oregon's the same. Yeah, and then and there's Montana. It just yeah, the Montana. Gen- the we, generosity
1: we, there is just
0: unbelievable. yeah. We hate elk, so we're ours. We're on a mission to exterminate every elk that walks the planet here. So <laughs> uh, we just are right. Our, our uh, Archery season closed on Sunday. So we've been hunting them with a bow for six weeks. Now we're giving them five days off, and on Saturday, rifle season opens. And boy, you really got to be a smart elk to survive five or six seasons in Montana. Uh, Man, so so they not only let you hunt them a
1: long time, they give they give the elk a five day period to lull them into security, make mm-hmm. them think they're safe. The woods die down, and they go back to their normal activity, and then they spring the rifle
0: hunters on them. Yeah, uh, it's a, Saturday morning is going to be just brutal. <laughs> it's. Uh, you're going you know, to, on the trailheads on the public land, you almost need to bring your own rock to stand on.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it just, looks like
0: there's going to be some weather, too, this weekend. Yeah. yeah. While well, I was out of town, we got a big storm here uh, a week ago Monday in Bozeman. We lost power. Uh, I wasn't here. My wife always complains, when you're gone is when we get these big snowstorms. I'm like, no, we don't. Well, sure enough. We get eight inches of wet, heavy snow here in town and the leaves haven't fallen off the trees yet. So it breaks all the limbs off the trees, which then break down the power lines. And my wife calls me, hey, where's the generator or the, the, uh, uh, you know, the the power Powers out. out. I'm like, "Um, well, I loaned it to the crew. They needed to charge batteries. She's like, oh. And then we had a long discussion about the reality of me always being gone and it always snowing. <laughs> <laughs> but I told her, I said, but honey, I did leave the snowblower and a can of gas out there for you. So I, I was oh. thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the bad part. She broke her foot uh, about a week before that. So she's oh, out man. there. Yeah, she's out there in a, a uh, one of those walking boots trying to blow eight inches of wet heavy snow man your name was your name was mud that day yeah i it's uh so all that marriage advice that we kind of slip in and out of here uh, i'm probably going to have some new techniques to try salvage marriage after (laughs) that that day (laughs)
1: so <laughs> uh, I just looked at yeah. your
0: your weather and it looks like you're not getting near the bad weather we're getting. I don't know what's no, we're, happening there. We're the, yeah, we're on the fringe of it. You know, clean living up here in Montana. We we don't get the weather you guys get in Idaho. Yeah. I guess. And your air quality's twenty eight. Ours is hundred and twenty nine today. Really? What's yeah. causing that? I don't know. Mm. Well. No, we uh we'll hunt them with a rifle now for five weeks uh the sunday after thanksgiving i think this year it's november 28th is when we stop hunting bulls with a rifle and then we hunt cow elk pretty much anyone who wants one uh we have these things called shoulder season so we just go shoot the bejeebers out of cow out for another i don't know Eight or ten months, uh, I, you know. In Alaska, there's only one month of the year you can't hunt black bears. I think in Montana we're creeping close to that with the way <laughs> we hunt elk. <laughs>
1: uh, I wonder they, they even take a month off in Idaho for wolf hunting in
0: most units. <laughs> That's man, <laughs> it's uh, I, I'm I, I know people are thinking Newberg, you're such a downer on Montana elk these days, but the reason I am is uh we're expanding our shoulder seasons to pu- to include now public lands. And uh the shoulder seasons came about with an awful lot of protests from hunters uh as extended shoot elk on, on private land late into the season into you know February and I, I think now even into March. Uh and it wasn't <laughs> They say that they're over-objective, but if you set the objective at 3% of the carrying <laughs> capacity, it's not that hard to be over-objective. Yeah. You know, as as an example, I think all of Region 7, Southeast Montana, if I remember right, I, I have to go read the elk management plan again. It's almost 20 years old now. But I think the objective for that unit is 300 or 500 elk. And it's, it's a, you know geographically it's huge i don't know how many millions of acres it is well guess what when you got an area that big and your objective is 300 or 500 it's not that hard to be over objective and so we have all these places in montana where they say oh we're over objective we're over objective well if we're not over objective that means we should almost close the season because after the politicians got done setting the objectives in the elk management plan they'd be borderline extinct if they were under objective, And uh, so we've decided we're going to come up with this creative thing called shoulder seasons uh, because we just, we have too many elk in Montana. They said they want to <laughs> reduce our elk numbers by 45,000 elk. That's what it would take to get under, to get to object, these low objectives they have set. Wow. So, yeah. So if you don't shoot your elk in Montana, You really, it's either because you made the conscious decision that I'm not going to shoot one or you just stayed in the bar all winter. (laughs) You know, it's uh, so I'm kind of down on that. Now that we're expanding it to public land, uh, the commission met and I think there were over 300 comments against it. And there were two comments in favor of it. And the commission (laughs) voted four to one to do it. Well, they and, represent
1: they represent the public right
0: yeah and here here's what we know based on having done this before the Madison valley which is south of Ennis, montana uh, in the like mid 2000s or you know 15 16 years ago they said we had way too many elk there and they're living under these center irrigation pivots and blah 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 we got to kill a bunch of cow out. all right so at the time we issued a whole bunch of Cow antlerless tags, you know, cow elk tags. Where if you drove through NS, there's a stop stop sign there. I think that in order to proceed past the stop sign, you had to. They, there was someone there handing out cow tags. We gave away <laughs> so many of them. You a tourist? Yeah. Oh, here's a cow tag. Uh, but here's what happened: the migratory elk that come from the Upper Gallatin Range uh, migrate over into the Madison to winter. Well. We get a couple good storms in mid-December, and these migratory elk, the well-behaved elk that don't live under the pivots, don't live on on these sanctuary ranches, come walking off the the mountain, strolling around in the foothills, and guess which elk got shot? Those elk. So we shot the living heck out of the the well-behaved migratory public land elk, and we didn't shoot any of the Poorly behaved center pivot irrigation, you know the the alfalfa elk because they know where the sanctuaries are. The the elk that came off the, the national forest, they they're, they don't know where the safe spots are. Well, most hunters didn't have access to those big sanctuary ranches, so they had a cow tag. They're like boom, boom, and within two years, with the collaring that we had our department said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. It looks like we're shooting the wrong elk. So they did close the season <laughs> and, and stop that program. And the, the you know, the, those, most of those people are now retired. They'll say, look, we made a mistake there. And now the upper Gallatin herd that used to winter 1,300 to 1,600 elk, or, or not winter, uh, had thirteen to 1,600 elk, now is a herd of about four to 500. It's wow. never recovered from that that session of you know 2 years of shooting all these migratory elk that uh, weren't the problem out so our our new commission has decided you know if it was a bad idea that failed in 2005 and 2006 let's do it now and let's put our foot on the gas let's you know <laughs> the reason it didn't work is we we didn't try hard enough
1: we didn't accelerate so the bad idea
0: yeah, that, you know it's. Uh, I could go on and on, but uh, anyhow, uh, I appreciate all the Montana hunters who've been speaking out against the expansion of shoulder seasons to public land. That's. Uh, they, I know they're all saying, "Well, what good did it do?" You know, <laughs> when you have 150 plus comments against for every one comment for, and they still vote the other way. You know, what do you do? Yeah. I, I don't have the answer to the what do you do part yet, but I'm working <laughs> on that. So. Hey, uh, how did I get on uh, Here we go again, Corey. I, yeah. I need to have like a tracking system to say, all right, here's the path we turned off from and we went down this side road so I know <laughs> how to get back to the main road. We,
1: we were just talking about seasons closing, September being gone, seasons yeah. closing, and oh, Montana being the, the state yeah. that just doesn't
0: close their season. Yeah. So it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, we're going right now, you know, I'd say we're done with the peak rut and we're going to the post rut and that's why I think most states can have such huge amount of hunting pressure in rifle season in late October is it's the post rut and that's the hardest time there is to kill. an. I
1: was just going to say the minute those big bulls quit bugling and move off by themselves is I went out, uh, Idaho opens October 15th. So I went out for opening day. I spent two and a half days scouting before opening day, went out opening day and did not see an elk and did not see a fresh track. So it was, uh, Yeah, it's just tough, and I, you know, I carried my bugle the whole time and was uh, hoping to get an elk to bugle. But like I said, I haven't heard an elk bugle since about October eighth or so, and I've uh, I've been in places where there were elk and they won't bugle, and I've obviously been in places where there weren't elk, and those ones wouldn't bugle either.
0: (laughs) Imagine that, huh? Yeah. Uh, Well, I. uh, I, I in Montana, I usually wait till the late season, and we're one of the few states that allow elk hunting in November uh, uh, on a general type. A lot of states have November elk hunts, but it's it's usually uh, you, you know a, a limited entry draw if yeah. you're gonna hunt in November in most states. But I I do think that if you are are able to hunt late season elk. It's the easiest time to kill an elk with a rifle. Well, I mean, if you could hunt them in the <laughs> rut with a rifle, yeah. But, late I mean, season's far easier. Than, and late yeah. Season. yeah. So that's why I kind <clears> of <throat> wait for that and know that these public land elk are, by the time late season comes around, they are in such tight sanctuaries that you can eliminate 99% of your map. And focus on those 1% that are just nasty, ugly sanctuaries that very few people want to go into. And somewhere near there, probably where you're going to find these bulls in November.
1: Yeah, I was excited because we had, there was four or five inches of snow up on top. And so I got up there and Mm -hmm. I covered a ton of country and never crossed a single track in the snow. Other than wolves, I saw uh, there was a pack of wolves that moved through. And one of the biggest wolf tracks I've seen. It was huh. uh, it was impressive
0: how big it was. Wow! So, did you notice this year? I don't know what the drought was like in Idaho, but in Montana, our, we we had a really really this is the driest year, and I don't know how long, but a long time. The elk were down really low this year, and. I attribute that to a function of that's where the better food was. So that's where the cows were. And if that's where the cows were, that's where the bulls were going to go in September.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but we would go up high. Eh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Go down low, be bulls, bugling here, bugling there. I don't know. But maybe it's because I spent so much time down low because there's a heck of a grouse crop this year in Montana and they were all, they were mostly down low <laughs> so maybe that's a self-fulfilling process yeah
1: you know? I was gonna say, I'm starting to see the picture here elk are bugling all over <laughs> while you have a moose tag in your pocket and you're not chasing yep. them they probably were bugling all over when you had an elk tag in your pocket but there was grouse there distracting you so
0: there's very good chance of that. Boy, I whacked a bunch of them this year. <laughs> I, I made up for some lost time. Are we going to to see any, Michael any grouse hunting during uh, Destination Elk? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Good. You, you should... There's a couple clips where I actually had the editors throw them away. I'm like, look, I'm jumping up and down acting like a two year old here. Please throw that clip out. If that gets the public domain, my, any respect people have for me is gone. I mean, I already <laughs> don't have much. You know, people are like, oh, that like guy's an idiot anyhow. But boy, I, got, I didn't realize they got that excited. But I did. <clears throat> and then uh, I shot one grouse, I blood trailed him for the longest time. Never did catch up to him. Really? But, yeah, I I was so disappointed. Man, uh, you didn't tell your wife morning. about that, did you? I haven't yet. Yeah, no. I know. I There's know how she'll bad. react if you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, did you guys have a great grouse crop in Idaho this year? Ah, uh, we did. Guys always have a great grouse crop.
1: Yeah, really? it wasn't it wasn't as good this year. It was. Uh, there were a few. In fact, I saw two uh last week heading out and uh, realized that i didn't have a, a proper weapon to be able to dispatch of them properly so i left them as a huh. seed crop um, and,
0: i appreciate that
1: yeah and maybe that really know where better they
0: are, you know <laughs> yeah', <I bet>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> send me the waypoint uh, but you guys uh if i remember seeing right uh, you guys did a Hunt of a Lifetime thing here earlier in October, is that right? We did, yeah. we uh, First
1: week of October, we always do the the Hunt of a Lifetime, and we did it through uh, a 501c organization called Outfitters for Hope this year. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those are, I don't know, I, I feel like a broken record because I, I say the same thing every year when we talk about it, but they really are... Uh, an incredible experience and you know we kind of we use it as a, an opportunity to kind of remind ourselves how blessed we are and it's always so yeah. just refreshing to go and, and hunt with someone that's going through a tough time or you know something that I think we take for granted we take elk hunting for granted we take a lot of things for granted and this year's experience was uh it was truly a, an eye-opening experience to see how much we do take for granted. Uh, Jack, the young man who we took out, he uh, had a cancerous brain tumor, and Good. through yeah. you know the surgery and the, the chemotherapy, and he suffered a stroke uh, as he was going through the treatment, oh, yeah. and so he's he's I, I say basically blind, but he is by all accounts and purposes blind. He can see your hand. If you hold it about five or six inches in front of his face, he can tell that there's a hand in front of his face. Uh, but if you hold Mm -hmm. it three feet in front of him, he can't, can't see anything there at all. So, you know, we, we were, and he can't, you know, his mobility is, is very limited due to the stroke. Uh, so we were, you know, there's a lot of challenge. I was looking at it going, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. how are we going to, you know, we, we can't get him around hardly at all. He's a bigger kid. He's, you know, six foot tall and 165 pounds. So some of the mm-hmm. the smaller kids we've thrown on our back and piggybacked them around. And we were uh, knew we were going to have a, a challenge here. And then it came down to Donnie took him to the shooting range to shoot the rifle. And the first, I want to say, 10 shots at 25 feet shooting at a 24-inch target, he didn't hit the target. And so we're looking at it going, okay, this is this, you know, this could set us up for a really bad experience if we wound an animal. What are we going to do here? So, Donnie, being Mm -hmm. uh, the great researcher he is, he found an adapter that goes on the front or the back of the scope and it basically mirrors the image at a 90 degree angle. So, you're still looking through the scope and can see the, the reticles and the target there in the scope. But then uh, a helper on the side at 90 degrees can look and verify to make sure that they're on target. So he rigged that up and mm-hmm. went back to the shooting range, and, and Jack shot considerably better. So we got out to camp and yeah. shot the gun and had uh, you know Russ Meyer, Tony Mudd, uh, Tony Gilbertson, uh, Donnie, John, and myself. And then Joe McCarthy was there, uh, volunteered at the last minute to cook. And then Jack and his stepfather Jeremy were there, so we set up and and shot a couple of practice rounds, and it worked really, really good. So the next wow. the next you know challenge is okay, how do we find an elk that's close enough to the ATV that we can get Jack to it? Uh, get the elk in close enough because we kind of set our limit of no more than a hundred yards because of you know the the visual limitations there. And we just knew that we were, we were up against a pretty tall order, but those hunts uh, every year work out and every year there's different challenges. And, uh, you know, the first 36 hours we didn't hear an elk bugle we were having troubles finding elk and uh, so we looked on on the map and said okay if they're getting pressured here and they're getting pressured here here's where they're going to move to and we went there the the second evening and sure enough that seemed like where all the elk were we saw three herds that had herd bulls pushing cows and obviously we weren't able to get in anywhere close to them but we rode the side-by-sides up and jack hiked probably 400 yards up the mountain which i mean he was a trooper you know he's got his yeah. his uh sight stick there and using it to feel for rocks in front of him and he's uh, his stepdad's wow. holding his hand walking him up the hill kind of guiding him around brush and rocks and obstacles and We got up to a little little draw and got kind of set up there and had no idea if there were any elk left around there. And I let out a bugle and a bull answered 300 yards away. And he stepped out of the trees and was looking for us. And I cow called a couple times and he came at a dead run. And you're going to have to, I mean, we got it all on video. You're going to have to see how it all played out, but it was... It was uh, nearly miraculous. Just the way the bull came in, where he came in, how long he stood there, uh, how efficient Tony and and Russ were at getting Jack turned around and set up and on the target, and uh, Jack made a perfect shot. And the bull went about five yards and fell down, and it was uh, pretty awesome. But so many, you know, so many times during that hunt. The, the aspens were absolutely incredible. Like, just uh, can't even explain visually what it was like. whole mountain just covered with yellow and orange and red aspens. And it just looked like the hillside was on mm-hmm. fire. And and I'm looking at it, and I usually take things like that for granted. Like, yeah, they change colors every year. I've seen them for 46 years now. Uh, but Jack mm-hmm. standing there next to you and knowing he can't see more than six inches in front of him, Uh, you know, I think we paused a little longer and, and soaked that in and then walking up on the elk when he had shot at it, it ran the five yards and kind of fell against uh, a mahogany tree. And as we're walking up there, you know, he's super excited. I want to see it. I want to go up. I want to, I want to go up to my elk. Can I go up to my elk? And so I'm holding, holding his hand on one side, his stepdad's on the other side and we're walking him up there and we're kind of explaining to him, you know, it's laying up against a tree here and it's a beautiful bull, an old bull. And we get up there and he says, oh, wow, it's way bigger than I thought. Well, he sees the tree that it's laying up against and thinks that's the elk. And so we explain to him, no, that's, that's the tree. The elk's laying underneath it. So we get up to the tree and you know, we're kind of making sure he doesn't poke his eye out on the limbs as he's going down there. And he reaches yeah. down and grabs a hold of the tree and he says, wow, the antlers are really rough. And we're like, no, that's, that's the tree it's laying up against. It's down here. So we're, we're guiding his hands in on the antlers so he can feel mm-hmm. them. And so he feels them, and you know, he's like, oh, wow, these are really smooth and so cool. And then he reaches down and feels the face of the elk, and he's kind of feeling the, the hair and goes down the nose, and he touches the nose of it, and he pulls his hand back really quick. He's like, oh, my gosh, what was that? And they're like, that was the nose, and you've got, you've got an elk booger on your hand. So he starts flinging his hand. And so, I mean, just, you know, we, we had a lot of fun, but at the same time, I'm just standing there going... We are so blessed that, you know, we not only yeah. can see the elk, but when we walk up on it, we're able to to take it in visually, and, and he couldn't do right. that. And, you know, his bowl was an old, old bowl. It only had one ivory. Uh, the one ivory was completely wore down flat. Uh, so I cut it out and took it up to it and put it in his hands and explained to him what it was. And so he's feeling it, and he's like, wow, this is really smooth and cool and just— so many things that that we just, we wake up every morning and don't even think about that. uh, These experiences are so just incredible to be a part of for, for so many reasons.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's amazing. And just hearing you talk about it, Corey is, uh, it kind of leaves you with this heavy heart of, you know, the concern or just empathy for everybody who doesn't have the blessings of health that we have and and uh really uh, remarkable that all of you guys get together and do this every year
1: Uh, i was just gonna say after the first year it it became selfish on our part because i wouldn't miss it for anything now just because of the just the experience. I mean, just the, it's, you know, you can look at it and say we sacrificed a week of our time, but, but we didn't, we gained so much more than what we gave up. And obviously we still get to be out hunting elk. So it's, it's not much of a sacrifice anyway, but (laughs) we just, we, we, we gain so much from it that it's, it's, uh, it's a once in a lifetime, you know, type of a thing for a lot of people. And for us, we get to do it every year and, it's, uh, it really is life-changing. It changes the way that, you know, even in my own hunts, you know, knowing that I have that coming up, um, I'm reminded many times of, um, you know, that the hardships they're going through and my hardship is, oh, I, I can't hear an elk bugle this morning and I'm getting frustrated about it. And it just, it just gives me a good chance to, to realign my priorities and, uh, recount the, the blessings yeah. I have and, don't get me wrong, I still get frustrated and and uh, still whine about mm-hmm. things. But just seeing Jack, I mean, he's he's a freshman in high school. He goes to regular high school. He's a straight-A student. He never once complained about anything out there. Like, you know, didn't get frustrated that he couldn't see anything. Was very patient, you know, asking for people to explain things to him or to, to help him you know, get over to to a place where he could needed to get. Just always had a smile, and I mean to see him light up the next morning at camp, recounting the the hunt, and just it's incredible.
0: Wow, that's that is so remarkable. I the 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 one thing you just wish that every person with a uh, some sort of you know impairment. Or other condition could experience it. Yeah,
1: um, And I wish yeah. that everybody, everybody like you know us that thinks we have it bad could experience going out and being a part of that because it yeah. it really is just um, I don't know. It, it's hard to put into words yeah. and explain it, but it's it's powerful for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, how did the Jacobson household hunts go this year? Every year we get a good report that, well, you know, my daughter, this, my son. (laughs) It
1: was, uh, it was good. I, uh, I think the last time we talked, when, when was the last time we talked? It was, uh, was it the Alaska Uh, podcast?
0: Yeah. We, we, the last podcast you'd get back from Alaska and then I was launching for, uh, uh, some Montana elk and moose hunting. So.
1: And had I gotten back from uh,
0: our Idaho hunt at that point? I can't remember.
1: I don't think so. So uh, Don and Johnny yeah. and I, Don and Johnny, John and Donnie and I uh, headed over to <laughs> a, a new unit and had an incredible time there filled with all sorts of challenges and, and everything. But uh, Donnie, Donnie filled his tag the first night and we got John a tag, and cameraman John shot an absolute giant of a bull. And then I had a few days left to hunt, and we weren't as fortunate. And uh, on our last evening there, Donnie broke his leg. Um, and What? Yeah, we... Uh, like, broke his leg? Like, like broke his leg. Like... In a cast now? Uh, not yet, but he has to go back in for follow-up x-rays. He broke it in two places. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'll, I'll spare a lot of the details. Hopefully, uh, we can share a lot of that in Destination Elk because we sure. filmed filmed everything. But uh, he's been having knee problems. He had all his problems in, right. in Alaska. Uh, we hunted pretty mm-hmm. hard. We rode motorcycles into an area. It was a pretty tough motorcycle ride. Uh, pack an elk out on a motorcycle wasn't a lot of fun and wasn't easy so Donnie was pretty wore down towards the end of the hunt and I was in uh, what Don and, Donnie and John call uh, last day marathon mode and you know I'm I just kind of yeah I just kind of you know that last day it's like hey we've got to we've got to go above and beyond here and and Donnie knew it was coming so John volunteered to stick with me and and Donnie volunteered to go back and get the truck and drive around the mountain 13 or 14 miles and pick us up on the other side when we popped out. And uh, fortunately, it was the, the only day of the whole hunt where we had cell reception. Uh, we were hunting on the face of the mountain there. And Donnie called about a half hour after we split up and said, hey, I, I fell and hurt my knee. Well, his knee's been bothering him for, for two years. And so I thought, I probably yeah. twisted his knee or something. And I said, all right, do you need us to come to you? And he said, no, let me kind of sit here for a minute and, and gather my bearings and see if I can put weight on it. And keep going where you're going. I'll call you. And I said, well, I'm not going to keep hiking away from you. If, you know, I'll, I'll wait here till I hear back. And about two minutes later, he called and said, I can't put any weight on it. I can't even stand up. It's, there's something wrong. So we headed to him hmm. and made it over to him, and, and uh, he was in pretty bad shape. And so Jeez. talking about, you know, going through with him, he it was on flat ground. He kind of kicked a pine cone or something and lost his footing and went to catch himself. And when he did, his knee completely bent backwards. And so I'm thinking, all right, you, you know, you blew out your ACL or or something. And then he said, you know, it hurts the worst on the sides, on the front left side and the front right side. And I thought, well, maybe it's MCL or, or another of the uh, outside stabilizing ligaments there. And so we're thinking ligament the whole time. So we got him, you know, fixed up with trekking poles and able to get up and. Uh, shuffling out there was about a mile and a quarter to where we could get the truck to. He had to, to hike out on that. And so we get back and he went into, uh, to get the MRI and everything and nothing was torn. They said, you know, ligaments are definitely stretched out, which is why it feels like your knee has no support and it's going to lock up again, but let's do an x-ray. So they did an x-ray and found that he fractured two different bones in his lay le- in his lower leg. Uh, and my only thought is he hit so hard, and fortunately the ligaments didn't give way. But it, it looks like where the ligaments attached to the bone that it fractured the bone there at the the top of the bone. So Jeez. he uh, he's in a no no weight bearing mode for three weeks with a brace on it, and then he has to go back in and get an X ray again, and then decide what they're going to do from there.
0: This getting old ain't for sissies, Lord. No. I'm telling you, <laughs> no. Corey. It isn't. I, there's, there's a guy here, he just passed away in Bozeman, Joe Gatkowski. He was 91. Uh, yeah, just a remarkable guy, former smoke jumper, everything. He used to go up in the wilderness area here, at the Spanish Peaks, and spend elk season with nothing more than a, a tarp. <laughs> and that's how he'd, he'd go up there. That's all he'd carry. And you would say, Joe, what, how do you make it? Well, what am I going to do if, if, if I were to shoot an elk and I had all that stuff on my back and take more trips? And uh, he just passed away. But when I used to talk to him and, uh, you know, towards <laughs> when he got in his 80s, he'd tell you about this ache or this pain or how it was slowing down his elk hunting. And here he is, 85 years old, backpack <laughs> elk hunting in the wilderness area. And he's the one who told me. You know, Randy, this getting old ain't for sissies. <laughs> <laughs> so I stole that one from Joe Garkowski. Uh What a great guy. But, yeah. uh, how old is Donnie? Sh- can you rat out Donnie? How old yeah, is he? He's, older, uh, than you younger
1: he's than older than me, he's 52. So he's about mm. in between you and well, me, I think. Yeah.
0: Mm. Boy, Donnie, uh, you need to quit hunting with guys like Corey. people may not understand that when i'm with you you take off running and i'm like that's fine he's running past all these grouse and other stuff i'm i'll just i'm on cleanup duty here i'm here to get dinner uh so i don't put myself in those situations usually where i get hurt yeah I, i don't move fast enough to get hurt Well, like
1: I told Donnie, we, you know, we rode motorcycles, I don't know how many miles through just some rocky, bouldery, nasty stuff. In fact, at one point, Donnie stopped and, and I said, Hey, how's it? How you doing? And he's like, I'm good. He goes, why didn't we do this when, uh, when we were younger? And, uh, you know, just mean, it. it's, it's, it's tough. And we were on, I mean, we yeah. had some nasty packouts. We brought his elk out in one trip. We brought John's elk out in one trip and John's was a, a giant herd bull. And, uh, all these places we had no cell reception. We had nothing other than a, an in reach and an SOS button and he could have got hurt in any of those areas. He got hurt on flat ground, a mile and a quarter from the truck, with cell reception. And so, we were very fortunate in <laughs> in that regard, for sure. Yeah, but
0: well, they they say that the most backcountry injuries happen within a mile of camp. Yeah, so that's why I moved. My, that's why I moved. My that's camp. you moved your camp. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I heard that one before that they say most, most auto accidents happen within 10 miles of home. So we moved. And <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh. Uh, so well. let's uh, expand on this. Cause we get some questions about this. This is where you and I could be on further ends of the spectrum. <laughs> Getting an elk out in one trip. I I'm, I'm just here to tell the world that packing an elk out in one trip is insanity. And I well, participated in one of those with you down in New Mexico. Uh, yeah, but there were four and of us now there. now you tell me you get... Well, I know, but two of the guys were carrying 60 pounds of camera gear.
1: And they, I think they were still carrying more elk, guy, me, more elk was than was us.
0: Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... That, that trip, I mean, perfect example, we're walking out in the dark through a boulder field. Of, well, I wouldn't call it a boulder field. It's like walking on volleyballs, yeah. all those lava rocks. And Marcus carrying the camera already has a, a drop foot on his right side. He takes a digger, cuts his hand, smashes the viewfinder on the camera. But at least we got the elk out in one load. That's right. <laughs> on one trip. And by two AM too. Uh, yeah. So you know after kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Af- after Alaska, okay. things just didn't seem mm-hmm. as hard this year.
0: We we did more hard things this well, year imagine yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I there's a big part of why I no longer do the, you know, crazy heavy loads, is yeah, with age it just where it's even that much harder on you and your recovery period is way way longer but just the risk of injury is i'm never in that big of a hurry i mean i'm one of those guys who drives the speed limit so uh i'm never in a big hurry so i'm not going to be in a big hurry with getting the elk out in one trip but i know a lot of people do that and uh i just i don't know man i'm I don't think you're going to be able to convince me to do that, Corey.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, last year I kind of had convinced myself, hey, it's time to just start taking one quarter of the time and, you know, just mm-hmm. easing out a little bit. And of course, the llamas helped with that last year. But this year, you know, so we got mm-hmm. back from Alaska in that experience, which I won't even rehash any of that. But we, we did a lot of packing there. I was home for two days and uh, took my then 14, now 15-year-old son, uh, Sam, out, and he shot a a really big six-point bull with his bow. And he had forgot game bags, so I made him hike back to the truck and get the game bags. And he he said he got turned around a little bit, but I'm pretty sure he was sitting up on the hill watching me because just at the time I got completely done cutting up his elk and hanging it in the tree, he showed back up with game bags. So I cut his up by myself and then uh, we packed it out. And that's when Donnie came and, and helped us with one of the loads there. Then we had over to Eastern Idaho, we brought so out this Don- was
0: buff- This was before. Buff- was this before Donnie broke his
1: leg? Yeah, this was before. So th- this was Donnie's, okay. <laughs> Donnie wanted to be involved in the packout, just having missed Alaska and, and everything. So we, uh, okay. we we headed over for our Idaho hunt. Donnie shot his bull first night. Uh, we packed it out in one trip, which it wasn't It wasn't a brutal trip. It was, I want to say a mile and a half. Uh, we were in a, a creek bottom. We were able to get up off the side and find a pretty good game trail and it was it was a pretty gradual downhill uh, pack and it wasn't you know we boned it did we bone it out I don't remember I don't think we boned his out uh, but anyway it didn't seem overly heavy John had the heaviest load on that one with camera gear and then he took pretty good pretty good chunk of meat with him uh, John's bowl mm-hmm. we shot it and it was about the same distance mile and a half or so but it was down. It's pretty steep, a lot of blowdowns, and we were looking at it going. Somebody's gonna have to come back and get another quarter. And I just said, "Throw it on my pack and let's be done." So I had a pretty pretty heavy load on that one. Uh, we got back home, and and I was, you know, I didn't fill my tag, and and there were still days left in the season. And I think, I don't know if it was the the random bursts of tears or just the staring longingly out the window of our home my wife finally said just go just go back and so I went back over six hour drive uh the night before season closed got there just before dark spotted a bull uh, about two miles away and looked like a giant bull the biggest bull we'd seen all season But I wanted to call one in up where I was. I was up on top of the mountain and I spent the next day, I hiked 13 miles the next day. I never heard a bugle and never saw an elk. And that was the last day of the season. And so, in the back of my mind, I thought, I've got to get over where I saw that bull. So, with about an hour and a half left of daylight, I headed over to where I'd seen the bull the night before and uh, just hoped that he would take the same route. Going down to water that he'd taken the night before because they weren't talking and uh, I wasn't about to bugle and make them wary and send them another direction. So, hiking up the ridge to get up to to the point where I'd seen him come out of the timber and it was starting to get not dark, but I knew it was late enough in the evening that I was taking a risk of bumping him if I tried going any farther. So, I just picked a spot along the trail he'd taken the night before and set up there, hoping he'd come down that same way. And as luck would have it, he didn't take the same path. Uh, he ended up circling around on an adjacent ridge. But then, for whatever reason, the cows he was with decided to cross back over to the ridge I was on. And they crossed over 12 yards away from where I was set up. And pulled the bull with them. So with 23 minutes left in the season, uh, I shot the, the biggest bull that I've shot in Idaho in my life. And I was by myself. Uh, John had other obligations. Donnie had a broken leg. And so I processed it there in the field that night by myself and then uh, packed it out by myself the next day. And I almost got it in two trips. But I, uh, I went back to, uh, to get the last load, which was the back straps, tenderloins, uh, the head, the antlers, and both quarters. And I couldn't lift the pack off the ground. So <laughs> I, I took one of the hindquarters off and had to make a third trip to get it. But uh, did that wow. and then got back, did the hunt of a lifetime, and, and got Jack's bowl. And then my oldest son, Isaac, who's at, at college, came home uh, on a Friday night and was heading down to Boise to a wedding the next day and had to be back at 10 o'clock. And so it was 11 o'clock at night or so, and we're just sitting in the living room talking. And I said, well, we should go out and look for a spike for you in the morning because Idaho has a, a rifle spike hunt that's open for, I think, nine days or something in between archery and rifle season. And oh. He's like, can is can I do that? And I'm like, yeah, it's part of your your A-tag is you have the, the spike-only season that's open right now. And he's like, uh, I won't have enough time. I have to be back home by 9.45 to shower and get ready to leave by 10. And I'm like, well, that gives us a good two hours. We can at least go out and see. And he said, well, if, if we get one, what if we get one like... When we have to get back, I'm like, we'll worry about that then. If, you know, we go out and you have an opportunity, that's great. If not, you know, at least we're out hunting. And so we went out. Took a little hike, didn't hear any bugles, didn't see any elk and got back to the truck. And I said, well, we've got an hour, gives us enough time to drive over through the the logging area and then take the back way back home and be home. And he's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, it's 45 minutes if we leave right now. And he's like, all right. So we drive through the logging area and Isaac's the one that I've always mentioned has the lucky horseshoe uh, implanted in somewhere in his body and, uh, heard elk run across the road with a spike in the back of the herd <laughs> so he jumps out and runs up the hill and i hear boom 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 and i run up there just in time to see a spike rock back on its back heels and fall over backwards <laughs> and i looked at my watch and thought oh we're pushing it here so we ran up there and took a few pictures of it and uh Ran back to the truck and I drove him home. He got home with uh, five minutes to spare, and then I went back out and took care of his elk and packed it out for him, which it was only I don't know four hundred yards or so, so it wasn't a bad pack. But uh, that's wow. been yeah, that's been my season. We've uh, we've packed a
0: handful so, of elk. Uh, let me ask, let me ask you this: Does this mean you're just really in in good practice at packing out animals, or? Or have you had your fill of it for the year? You know, you I, I keep... To, you got in on some, a lot of packouts this year.
1: I did, yeah. And uh, a couple of them by myself. And uh, I, I, I'm i ready to do it again. I, I would do it again. Really? And I may really? have to because uh, my wow. daughter, Jessie, she... Uh, She's hardcore and wants to kill an elk, but on Saturday she tore her other ACL. So she tore her right knee, ACL in her right knee, 10 months ago in her first basketball game of the season last year and rehabbed from that and came back stronger than ever. And in their first district volleyball game, she tore her other ACL. So. She's immobile, yeah. but we've got the uh, Baku e-bikes and a trailer that I've hauled her around in before. So I'm going to try to do some scouting, <laughs> see if I can find an elk uh, somewhat close to a logging oh, road yeah. or something and bike her back in in the trailer if I have to.
0: Yeah. Huh. Well, I wish I had as many packout stories to talk about as you do, but I don't.
1: What? Uh, any? Any... Updates on the moose. I know last time you were
0: you were heading back out to look for a moose. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting story. Uh, you know, this thing called life sometimes gets in the way. i I went up. me and Michael were doing some archery elk hunting up at my moose unit that we promised you that we'd get you some some elk content from Montana for your destination elk series. So that's why I called you that one day and yep. said, Corey, there's an elk bugling right out here 50 yards in front of us, but it's so thick I can't see him. What do I do? Said, Hang up the phone. Don't call me. Uh, I think possibly. we've got that's in our intro
1: of the podcast of me saying not to call yeah, me to ask for advice while an elk's bugling in front mm-hmm. of
0: you. The, that's why I did it. I know. Uh, no, actually, the bull had uh, already kind of drifted off. He must have caught our wind or something. But anyhow, we were up there doing that. Uh, we chase bugles in the morning and then in the afternoon just go and mess around, act like we're moose hunting, but not get real serious about it. And then uh, the third night, a bull, about a 35 inch bull, walked down below our camp, about 400 yards. And I called him to within 100 yards, and I didn't shoot him. Uh, I, that, in retrospect, it's like, that was a mistake. Uh, <laughs> but uh, And then <clears throat> I took a little break and went to Wyoming to help my buddy uh, Mason Payer from Noddler hunt his pronghorn tag. Uh, I didn't have a tag I just you know I love Jason Bronwyn so I offered to to join him and while I was down there I got a bad phone call that my mom was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer Uh, so uh, they were immediately going to start a bunch of procedures and I called her I said well I'm coming back she said well don't you have a moose tag I'm like yeah she said, "Well, don't come back until you feel that moose tag." So <laughs> I, I I called her while I was out in the field uh, trying to feel the moose tag, and so you know when you get a diagnosis, there's all these tests, and then they finally figure out what the treatment's going to be. So. I'm out in my moose unit and call her. I'm like, what would you find out? And she gives me the whole calendar. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pack up and head home. Uh, And that's when she said, no, make sure you shoot a moose before you do. So the next morning, there's a moose standing in the river. And I start giving my calls. And he's like, oh, boy, what's over there? I got to come check this out. So I'm sitting there with my 7 mm O eight. And he walks up to, I think I my first shot I could have taken, if I wanted to shoot through the brush, was like fifteen yards. <laughs> I don't have my bow with me. Oh! And uh, then he jogs or he moves around, and I, I I couldn't shoot through all the thick brush, so we made a loop ahead of him, and uh, he. Uh, he comes walking right up on top of this bench where <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, <clears throat> not really. Uh, he, uh, he, he must have wanted a ride in, the, in my truck because he starts walking right towards my truck that's parked over on the forest service road. <laughs> and I shot him at about 25 yards. <laughs> I could have got him out whole. I've never got an elk out whole. Uh, uh, but I could have got that moose out home. I I could have taken my worn winch and just winched him the extra 80 yards to the truck. Wow. I mean, with the photographs, by the time we, we made this big loop to get in front of him, <clears throat> we had to take photographs from a certain angle so the truck wasn't in the background. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that. That's, that's nothing so, to be embarrassed
0: about. No, so he's a young two-and-a-half-year-old bull, uh, but I knew I had to get on an airplane and get back to Minnesota. Uh, so that's, uh, that's how the moose hunt went, and uh, that's part of why you and I have had a hard time connecting. I just got yeah. back to Minnesota the other you know, day Sunday night. And now i got to leave town in the morning, and uh, I'm pretty much done. My season is kind of on the shelf. Uh, with the exception of my mom and my siblings, who were all rotating, helping her. And uh, they all said, look, you got a mountain goat tag. You're going back out to Montana in November, and you're going to fill that mountain goat tag. I said, well, I'll go back there. Don't bet that I'll fill it. But, <clears throat> so, but here's the other part of that. Here, here's the, This is like the repeating story. So everyone knows my mountain goat and moose tag were in the same unit. So while we're up there moose hunting, I'd seen this big billy goat three years ago. And that's why I started applying there. I went up there and I found him four more times this month or or in uh, late September and early October. I could have shot him, but I didn't. Because before I found out my mom's situation, I'm like, oh he's still tucked away in this little spot. Nobody would ever look for a mountain goat here. Here he is. I'm coming back in November when he's all furred out. So if some other tag holder finds him and shoots him, I'm probably going to be kicking the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you'll uh, find him. So I hope so. Uh, anyhow, that's, uh, you know, not to share the woe is me, Kind of thing in the world, but I think anyone whose family's been through a uh, a cancer diagnosis that is bad, uh, they know it and what the situation is, and you just you deal with it, you know. It, like you were talking about when you guys did the hunt of a lifetime with Jack, how it kind of makes you so aware of of how blessed we are, uh, and this whole thing uh, of the last two or three weeks here is really shaken it just kind of tilts your view of the world and forces you to look at things a little differently and for me it's you know just uh, I almost have this feeling of guilt of how many times I've seen a family where you can tell someone's going through chemo and other stuff and I feel bad that I wasn't as compassionate as maybe I should have been for what trying to consider what that family was going through at the time but now I fully understand, uh, and it just causes me to look at things and say, you know what? I have, it, no matter who you are, uh, hug your wife, hug your your mom, uh, because you never know when the phone call is going to come. Not that you you live life worrying about that, but uh, don't take it for granted. That's yeah. for sure. So. So that's good uh, advice,
1: and I'm sorry to hear that she's going through that.
0: Yeah, Uh, it's uh, you know, and that's at first it's this you know huge upheaval, but then you just realize that this thing we call life, you know, it's it just. (laughs) <laughs> there's no set path you don't you don't know what tomorrow holds or what this afternoon holds and yeah. so, uh, but every one of these things are lessons I mean to see my mom uh, show the courage that she is showing is just remarkable I mean she's always been a very very uh, amazing woman uh, but she's uh, the first day of treatments when we're in Duluth she looks at me and she says after they just they tell you all this stuff of what you're going to go through i don't know if they're trying to scare you out of it but it's like oh my gosh uh, we get out of there and she's like i'm ready let's go before i change my mind <laughs> so we march into the end the clinic there where she gets her infusions and so it's as hard as those things are and you, you don't want to ever see anyone go through it you know some of the lessons for me uh, are pretty profound it's I, if I got an ache in my back or you know I got a toothache or whatever it's like you know what, Randy? you don't, you aren't dealing with anything suck it up but I, got, <laughs> I think examples of courage and examples of you know dealing with life and uh, trying to make the best of, of bad uh, those are things that make us in the long run probably make us. Uh, a better person so that's uh, that's what we'll try with this and uh we'll know probably by december we'll know how well the treatments are working go from there. so yeah. so if people are watching our platforms i mean there's already <laughs> you know you read youtube is not a good place to read comments it's not as bad as facebook but it's close so you know right now marcus uh, and michael and some of our other friends have been out hunting so i haven't been on the channel a lot for the last month and people are like where's randy where's randy and so it's like you don't want to tell the whole world because then it sounds like you're you know wanting the woe is me story but uh if they think they haven't seen much of me so far this year they're really gonna be asking that question for the rest of the year but yeah what it is you know we'll get through it and uh i got a moose and uh have you ever tried to cook a whole rack of moose ribs i have not <laughs> did you so uh, what we thought about it our our tradition always is and this was the last night you know we shot it in the afternoon right around noon. uh by the time you get even if it is a close to the road by the time you process it moose, it takes a long time so we had rented this forest service cabin and so that night i'm you know i know i'm heading out the next morning we uh, cooked the tenderloin and then we uh, thought we were going to cook a rack of the ribs but we cooked a half rack of those <laughs> ribs on an open fire and, and then some of these images we have of Marcus chewing on just one moose rip, it's like 30 inches long. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's about as big around as the handle on a baseball bat. And here's Marcus holding on to this thing. <laughs> we, uh, let's just say our eyeballs got ahead of our stomachs. So, uh, <laughs> by the time we ate that, that one big tenderloin, and then we tried to eat that half rack of ribs. We ended up having to scrape most, not most, but a lot of the meat off the ribs, and then take it home. And Marcus did something with it when he got home. That's, uh, <laughs> that's that's the way a lot to do more it. Meat on their ribs.
1: Yeah, that's I was gonna say that's the way to do it. Oh, is yeah. Shoot them by the truck so you can take the whole rib home, and because mm-hmm. usually it's yeah, you're yeah. wanting to cut ribs and pack ribs and everything out of the woods. So
0: yeah. Yeah, that's uh and if you look at the meat that's on an elk on their ribs, and I've taken elk ribs before, you don't get that much meat no. off an elk rib. A moose rib? In, in, <laughs> if you eat a quarter of a rack of moose ribs, you're gonna be plenty full. You're gonna have a protein overload that <laughs> day. Uh, so it's uh it was it was fun. Uh you know, uh, it it was it didn't turn out like I thought. I thought I was going to get to Moose Hunt for another three weeks. I blocked out most of October because the rut really starts peaking uh, the first ten days of October. But you know, it is what it is. So I guess I should have shot that you know bigger bull that was close. You know, came by our camp there while we were out hunting, but I didn't. And So that's just how it goes. So yep. now I'm going to. Go take care of business, and then come back and hopefully find him out and go and see if we have a story to tell about that.
1: I can't wait Probably for that a one.
0: story about. Oh, yeah! Look at this gut pile right here. Someone must have <laughs> <be> shot Grubby. <Greppy. laughs>
1: no, he's he's being preserved right
0: there, waiting for you. Oh, I hope you're right, Corey. Uh, it, it would be fun if, if we could find him. But yeah, yeah, that has nothing to do with Alcat. No. Uh, so, but
1: elk season it does but, uh, have to do with elk season
0: yeah it, it does uh and when michael and i were doing our elk hunting uh like i said we hunted down low because we were we were doing all the high ridge stuff you know get up on the ridges and beagle and beagle and beagle and nothing and a lot of times we'd be down walking from the trailhead where we parked the truck and we'd hear a faint bugle down lower. And we just said, oh, those are other hunters. We got to go higher. Well, then one morning, we slammed the truck door, the topper lid or whatever. And all a the bull bugles 500 yards from us. We're like, wait a second. It's an hour <laughs> before daylight. <laughs> those are, that's not another hunter. So we went after it. And again, you know how thick it is there. You and I have hunted there before. Uh and you think we could get those things into archery range? I, uh, I, I need to work on my my talent. But uh, they'd come in and they would just get so close. You could hear them walking. You could, I mean, the bugles, the vibration of them bugling that close was so intense. But I just you get those little low spots in there and where they like to go down, and the wind just. I, I wasn't good enough to figure out how to get a steady win, And I think yeah. they would just circle around enough that they'd get a little whiff of something and they'd be like, something just isn't right. We never heard the alarm bark or anything like that. You wouldn't hear them running off. you just hear them, you know, all of a sudden they go silent for five minutes and then they're 300 yards away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think that's how they get to be Old bulls in that country there's yep. tons of grizzly bears tons of wolves and a lot of hunters and the ones that make it are smart and uh, i'm on the other end of the elk smart spectrum <laughs> from them so <laughs> the odds aren't that good so, but. so uh somebody wrote wrote in and asked how to hunt fake areas of western montana or northern idaho and I don't really have an answer because I just explained that I haven't figured it out. Um, if it was rifle season, I'd say go hunt somewhere else. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> if they're not bugling, boy, I don't know how I would hunt elk where we were at if they weren't bugling. Cause your visibility, it's good visibility. If you can see 30 yards, most places it's 10 to 15 yards. Yeah. So I, I don't know how you would do that. I, I, I would just say make sure you archery hunt it. Don't you know on. what you I, I think? Tips for-
1: yeah, growing up in, in north central Idaho uh, and, and seeing some of that stuff in northwestern Montana, if I was to rifle hunt it, I think uh, I would definitely, and you know, I think this is assuming based on what I've seen, but there's usually some logging areas and some areas you can hike into where they've been logged, uh, whether it's clear cut or just thinned or whatever but you've got to find an open spot and i think the elk you know they like those spots too they like coming out of that thick stuff and being able to get out and breathe a little bit and find some some good feed so uh, that would be my advice if i was hunting in that thick area uh, is find find an area where it's been logged or where there's been a fire or something that's disrupted that thick canopy of brush that permeates a lot of north idaho and northwest montana and and do some glassing there uh still hunting through that stuff is is uh <laughs> well i was gonna say it's a it's a patient patience learning uh, effort but it's it's probably a waste of time so you know in, in archery season i that's how i grew up hunting was in that thick stuff and i actually prefer hunting where i can't see the elk uh, because they can't see me and i think it gives me more opportunity to get on a ridge and hike and get a bugle and and get down and have an encounter so like you said archery hunting wouldn't be too bad if they're bugling if they aren't bugling then uh you've got to resort to some of the same things either getting out and looking for them at last light as they're coming out to feed on the edge of a clear cut, or find a game trail and, and try to ambush them as they're coming by or over a water hole or something but i wouldn't completely relocate in rifle season i just look for some of those areas that might be a little more conducive to
0: being able to glass yeah <clears throat> yeah and uh i, I say that kind of uh, (laughs) tongue-in-cheek i have hunted elk up in this spot where i told you how thick it is actually the first five bull elk i shot i shot up in there and it, it i'll use other parts of this area of montana is we have a lot of edges where on a certain side of the ridge there's timber and then it's clear you know it's grass on the other side so we have a lot of openings from fire from just the natural vegetation this part of montana we have a lot of openings so knowing that elk use edges a lot of times you're sitting there saying well which of these hundred edges are they going to use today whereas in the really thick parts where where i've hunted there aren't very many edges. So the edges that are there become even more valuable to the elk and therefore more value to your strategy of how you're going to go after them. So I, uh, I have used those edge things, whether it's a logging area or just a rock slide that, you know, there's no, (laughs) there's no trees or anything growing in that avalanche or that rock slide or, you know, whatever it might be a burn. And, And so, I'd say pretty much every elk I've shot in that area was on an edge situation, even though there aren't a lot of edges there. So that's, uh I guess, that's how we'd answer that then, and yep. uh, find edges. So yep. uh One thing I wrote down here, Corey, I'm sorry I keep looking at this thing where I wrote down, but our friends at Mountain Ops wanted people to know they had something special going on in October. That did is I, right. Did my... Yeah. Uh, Did I miss that? And I apologize that folks are only finding out about it now, but we've been trying to get together for a podcast, but due to the unforeseen uh, parts of my life the last three weeks, uh, we haven't been able to do it. So I apologize that we haven't told folks about this.
1: Yeah, and they're uh, going to be interested for sure. Um, So Mountain Ops, during the month of October, they have their – They call it Opstober. It's it's their big annual uh, promotion, I guess. And so they give away a ton of gear and items. So uh, over $125,000 in prizes are up for grabs during October. Yeah. Uh, So every single package that's sent out, so every order, they include uh, a golden ticket card in that order. And some of them are for free gear. Some of them are for big discounts, you know, 50% off something, uh, different things. And then each week they randomly select one order and it receives their weekly ops box. And so um, some of the, the stuff they've given away, they gave away an ATV, they gave away a dirt bike. Uh, this week, they're giving away <laughs> a, a Kawasaki KL650 Enduro dirt bike. Uh, next week uh, I'd hurt they myself on that. <laughs> Yeah. They haven't announced what they're giving away next week. Uh, but basically, if you order Sunday through Saturday, you're automatically entered for that. Uh, they have a bunch of other random prizes. But what's really cool is I talked to Rihanna at Mountain Ops and said, well, can we do anything special uh, above and beyond that for the Elk Talk listeners? And she said, yeah, absolutely. And so I was thinking, you know, maybe she'd give us a code that they could use for free shipping or something. Uh, If our listeners use the promo code Elk Talk when they place an order at Mountain Ops, not only are they entered for all of that, they're going to save 30% and get free shipping so 30 percent off free shipping plus the free items that come with every order plus the opportunity to win some more cool stuff so definitely uh take advantage of that before october 31st and uh cool stuff going on over at mountain ops for sure
0: man that is a lot of stuff oh one more thing one more thing uh, okay.
1: Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> bugleberry is only available during september so that's gone but they have another flavor that is a close second to bugleberry for me and that is their mayan mango and it's only available during october mm-hmm. so as long as that's still in mm-hmm. stock during yeah. october you can also get the the mayan mango
0: flavor well i'm a guy who dried mangoes are my go-to trail mix for yeah. i need to call them up Yep. Hey, can I use promo code <laughs> <Elk>, out? <boy? laughs> They'll be like, Randy, come on. Uh, but, so uh, that's an awful lot of stuff in a giveaway. Uh, yeah. Anyone who's interested, uh, starting, I, it'll be late October, and it'll run through all the November, first part of December. So every year, I do a, they call it the Win a Hunt with Randy thing with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And uh, that'll start rolling out here Sometime in late October. So if you go to RMEF.org or watch on our social channels or whatever, and the next podcast will have all the details, but that's another one where we give away, oh, I don't know, ten, twelve thousand dollars worth of gear on top of the a chance for somebody to have to go hang out with me for <laughs> I, I don't know I'm waiting for the time when somebody wins this and says hey I appreciate the hunt but I gotta hang out with that guy man it's not all there <laughs> but, uh, any, anybody that, that
1: spent be- yeah anybody that spent more than a couple minutes with you in, in any camp uh, will be begging for the opportunity so you <laughs> uh, you, you uh, keep it
0: fun <laughs> that's for sure uh, well, I hope so, but, uh, I, <laughs> maybe we need to not worry so much about the fun and, and ramp up the, the, the tag punching operation. <laughs> because, uh, I, actually, every, every last year's sweepstakes winner, uh, he shot his first elk. The guy I'm taking this year, he has the—he's never shot an elk, so I'm hoping he shoots his first elk. So we're we're on a bit of a streak there. We're sweepstakes winners who uh, have shot their first elk, and quite honestly, I I get way more fun out of helping somebody shoot their first elk than if I shoot an elk myself. So Absolutely. It's, uh, it's always fun to do it that way. But a uh, couple other questions that people sent in. Uh, someone asked if how we feel about the idea of states or nonprofit groups encouraging people to sh- hold out for older mature bulls and not shoot raghorns or, or younger bulls uh, and especially on high demand tax I uh, I think the person means well. Uh, they're interested in how you can increase the age class uh, but, for me, I've always said, and people get tired of me saying it, I'm sure, is the beauty of hunting is the tag holder gets to decide what they want to make of their hump. and if they want to shoot a spike, a raghorn, a five point, or big Hank, doesn't matter to me. I I want them to do what they want to do. So I don't know that we'd be able to stockpile elk anyhow, you know, without significantly reducing opportunity. So I'm not sure I'd be on board with that idea.
1: Yeah. And I was just going to say, I think most of the, the over-the-counter states, especially, you know, Montana, Idaho, uh, Colorado, Oregon, I think they are mostly managed for opportunity and when you start restricting based on antler size or other things, opportunity goes away uh, and then you're left with, yeah, I mean, th- there's no doubt. If you don't kill any spikes, if you don't kill any four points, raghorns, and it's a six pointer or better, you're going to have a, a, a more quality trophy type experience at the expense of not as many tags. And, you know, you look at it and say, okay, if we did that, you know, there would be just as many bulls, you know, and they'd all be bigger now, but that's not the case. You've got, you know, uh, for an elk to survive to eight years old, he has to live for eight years. And there's a lot more than just hunting that, that he's up against. And so you'd lose some... Uh, through predation, through winters, through disease, all of that. So you wouldn't have the same number, so you'd lose opportunity there. Uh, the other thing is it, it creates a trophy hunting mindset, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with trophy hunting. I will hold out for a big bull in certain situations, and if I draw a limited tag. Uh, but I think that's what it becomes, is all of a sudden it becomes a, a limited tag hunt instead of an opportunity. And so I just, like you said, I I hate to tell somebody what they have to shoot, especially when it's an opportunity type hunt. Um, You know, we've seen hunts that only allow forked horn mule deer and it it wipes out the older class. I just think where they leave it uh, open, like it is in a lot of these states where it's any bull, uh, it, it gives the widest range of opportunity to the widest range of hunters and it promotes people being in the field rather than you know only hunting a, a big bull so like you said i think that the person means well and it it's certainly uh, a good theory uh, but i don't think it would work out in the long run for for what we're trying to manage the elk herds for
0: yeah, And some states, when they found they were having such low bull to cow ratios post hunt bull to cow ratios, they had to go to an antler point restriction just to get more branch antler bulls through the hunting seasons to help with the breeding. So that's why in Colorado, most of your over the counter units are four pointer better. Yeah, and uh, so that's for a conservation purpose uh, why they've done that and. Uh, less so for a you know personal preference of let's try to stockpile a lot of older age class moles. it was just they knew that you can't have spikes doing the breeding it, it, we wouldn't go into a whole other discussion of that but that was in some of the states where it's done it's done for the purposes of the health of the herd uh, so yep uh, one other person wrote in oh well, oodles of people have written in Uh, I wish we could get to every question but we'd never we'd be doing podcasts about 8 hours a day if we answered (laughs) every question Uh, but uh, someone wrote in and said Corey I've used your uh, University of Outcunning course it was very very helpful blah 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 shot my first out Uh, do you have a mule deer course and uh, Uh, huh. That's a great idea. Up your sleeve, that's, a, yeah, that's, that's a great, great idea, idea.
1: Huh. Yeah. huh. Yeah, and um,
0: this year, people are like, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, uh, I, uh, it, it, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I've kind of <laughs> ratted myself out on this because I was in Nevada doing an, a pronghorn hunt this year, and people found out that. I'm trying to do a pronghorn course that kind of mimics your your University of Elkhart. So hmm. I don't know when I'll get that done. <laughs>
1: when get that done. Yeah. I know when your deadline is. But
0: anyhow. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah. We. we I did, uh, what do you just just tell the person? Stand by.
1: Stand by because it's a great idea and. Uh, Randy and I and, and some others have have been working diligently on some really cool stuff and there'll be more more information coming soon. But yeah, it's it's a great yeah. idea. I like the idea a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that idea. So. But anyhow, for people who are interested in your university course, they can go out to elk101.com, right?
1: Yep. And uh, use Sign the promo elk code elk, elk talk. And, you know, this is always a, a time of the year when we get a ton of emails and people, you know, I've got a, a lot of emails recently from people who are successful, you know, members of the online course who are successful, which is always incredibly fun to go through and, and see that. Uh, I get a lot of emails from people who haven't signed up for the course yet, who have just experienced an unsuccessful season, asking if they sign up for the course, if it'll help them based on on what they saw in hunting season this year and and the answer is almost always yes i think it will help you Um, so for those that that had an unsuccessful elk season and didn't fill a tag uh, that want to increase their chances i think the online course is a is a huge benefit there Uh, even for those who were successful that that you know want to got their first taste of success maybe and want to replicate that uh, the online course is definitely geared towards consistently replicating success so uh, certainly recommend it um, it's it's hard to to recommend something I created and and talk. A whole bunch about it but it was created with those hunters in mind and increasing their success and increasing the consistency of success so uh, i do hope that there's there's content in there that will do just that well
0: i'm sure there is i'm i I can promise people there is (laughs) and uh so hopefully they'll go do that um then uh Wait, wait, you got a lot on your plate, yet? You got any outcomes you're going on, or are you? Yeah, I've still. Yeah, got I mean, a, you're going to take Jeff, your your daughter around. You're going to take her around in the back, in the bicycle trailer. Yep, and uh, I still have a, a
1: rifle tag here in Idaho. So when okay. she's not able to go, I'm gonna, I'll be out scouting for her, and and maybe. Uh, trying to fill my own tag and then i i know we talked earlier in the season that i drew a colorado mule deer tag and uh in light of of jesse tearing her knee up and happened to have surgery and everything uh, i ended up turning that tag back in and uh, won't be going to colorado in november this year so uh i'll i'll have that to look forward to another year
0: pick that up yeah, somebody else is going to be in a phone call. this and, year, somebody's going to get that on the leftover list and say, what? This tag takes 17 points. How <laughs> did this end up on the return tag list? Yep. They should send a thank you card to Corey Jacobson. <laughs> be
1: on the lookout for it. Yep. But we aren't going to tell them what unit it's in. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: No. No. So. Well, Corey, I apologize that uh, I've been... So out of the loop here and it's been tough for us to coordinate calendars apologize to the audience for that uh complication uh but no, no uh, apology needed i think we've identified an- another day uh here not too far out where i'll get in front of a computer and uh we'll do another podcast and uh hopefully i have some big stories to tell i i've uh my brother and sister and I have rotated uh, the care thing with my mom where uh, I have a sweepstakes winner who won the elk hunt with RMEF, uh, and I leave in the morning to take that person, and then I, as quick as that hunt's done, I fly back to Minnesota. But uh, maybe I'll have a big story to tell about the winner shooting his first elk. So that I would hope be awesome. Yeah. And if people have topics they want us to talk about, they go to outtalkpodcast.com, right?
1: Yep. Just click the contact link there. And I noticed that uh, the website isn't updating with all the most recent episodes. So I'll get on that today and make sure sure that's up to date. But. Yep, they can just visit elktalkpodcast.com, click the contact link, and uh, send an email, and it arrives in both of our inboxes. We both see every email that comes through, and that's where we get some of these questions that we refer to in in these episodes.
0: Yeah, appreciate everybody who listens and everybody who sends us feedback or questions. Even though we don't respond to all of them, we get them, and uh, that's part of what we do to determine what content we talk about
1: so yep and even if we don't directly well i'm gonna let you go yeah no i was just gonna say even though we don't directly answer all the questions we do uh they they stay top of mind and hopefully in a roundabout way at least we get to them at some point so but yeah Yeah. randy it's uh, good to hear from
0: you you guys are in for some snow
1: yeah we've got nine of the next not yet, but nine of the next ten days are uh, either rain or snow. So we're getting some moisture.
0: Wow, we've got snow, snow supposedly coming possibly tomorrow, and then it looks like bluebird weather. But you know, you can't trust a weatherman. <laughs> I, I tell people, you told my son you should have become a, a, a weatherman instead of an engineer because you can be wrong nine out of ten times and. You can blame it on somebody else and get all this high exposure, you know, a lot of visibility, endorsements for huge car dealers and other stuff. <laughs> and you, you don't ever have to be right. So uh, that's, that's a lot like running a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that you mention it, dang. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like weather, <laughs> we Just make it up, right?
1: Yeah, just make it up.
0: Yeah, we make it up. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully you have a good rest of your season, Corey. We'll talk in about a week, and uh, appreciate everybody hanging in here with us. Sounds good, and our prayers are with you and your mom, Randy. Thanks. Appreciate it, Corey.
1: Yep. Talk to you later.